J.C. Ryle's Devotional Thoughts on the Gospel of Luke Section 67 Martha and Mary Luke chapter 10 verses 38 through 42 Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house and she had a sister called Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. The little history which these verses contain is only recorded in the Gospel of Luke. So long as the world stands, the story of Mary and Martha will furnish the Church with lessons of wisdom which ought never to be forgotten. Taken together with the eleventh chapter of John's Gospel, it throws a most instructive light on the inner life of the family which Jesus loved. Let us observe, for one thing, how different the characters and personalities of true Christians may be. The two sisters of whom we read in this passage were faithful disciples. Both had believed. Both had been converted. Both had honoured Christ when few gave him honour. Both loved Jesus, and Jesus loved both of them. Yet they were evidently women of very different turn of mind. Martha was active, stirring and impulsive, feeling strongly and speaking out all she felt. Mary was quiet, still and contemplative, feeling deeply but saying less than she felt. Martha, when Jesus came to her house, rejoiced to see him and busied herself with preparing a suitable refreshment. Mary also rejoiced to see him, but her first thought was to sit at his feet and hear his word. Grace reigned in both hearts, but each showed the effects of grace at different times and in different ways. We shall find it very useful to ourselves to remember this lesson. We must not expect all believers in Christ to be exactly like one another. We must not set down others as having no grace because their experience does not entirely tally with our own. The sheep in the Lord's flock have each their own peculiarities. The trees in the Lord's garden are not all precisely alike. All true servants of God agree in the principal things of religion. All are led by one Spirit. All feel their sins and all trust in Christ all repent, all believe, and are holy. But in minor matters they often differ widely. Let us not despise another on this account. There will be Martha's and there will be Mary's in the church until the Lord comes again. Let us observe for another thing what a snare to our souls the cares of this world may be if allowed to take up too much attention. It is plain from the tone of the passage before us that Martha allowed her anxiety to provide a suitable entertainment for the Lord to carry her away. 
Her excessive zeal for temporal provisions made her forget, for a time, things of her soul. She was cumbered with much serving. By and by, her conscience pierced her when she found herself alone serving tables and saw her sister sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his word. Under the pressure of a conscience ill at ease, her temper became ruffled, and the old Adam within broke out into open complaint. Lord, she said, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. In so saying, this holy woman sadly forgot what she was and to whom she was speaking. She brought down on herself a solemn rebuke and had to learn a lesson which probably made a lasting impression. Alas, how great a matter a little spark kindles! The beginning of all this was a little over-anxiety about the innocent household affairs of this world. The fault of Martha should be a perpetual warning to all Christians. If we desire to grow in grace and to enjoy soul prosperity, then we must beware of the cares of this world. Unless we watch and pray, they will insensibly eat up our spirituality and bring leanness on our souls. It is not open sin or flagrant breaches of God's commandments alone which lead men to eternal ruin. It is far more frequently an excessive attention to things in themselves lawful and the being cumbered with much serving. It seems so right to provide for our own. It seems so proper to attend to the duties of our station. It is just here that our danger lies. Our families, our business, our daily callings, our household affairs, our interaction with society, all, all may become snares to our hearts and may draw us away from God. We may go down to the pit of hell from the very midst of lawful things. Let us take heed to ourselves in this matter. Let us watch our habits of mind jealously, lest we fall into sin unawares. If we love life, then we must hold the things of this world with a very loose hand, and beware of allowing anything to have the first place in our hearts, excepting God. Let us mentally write poison on all temporal good things. Used in moderation, they are blessings for which we ought to be thankful permitted to fill our minds and trample upon holy things, they become an inevitable curse. Profits and pleasures are dearly purchased if, in order to obtain them, we thrust aside eternity from our thoughts, abridge our Bible reading, become careless hearers of the gospel, and shorten our prayers. A little earth upon the fire within us will soon make that fire burn low. Let us observe for another thing what a solemn rebuke our Lord Jesus Christ gave to his servant Martha. Like a wise physician, he saw the disease which was preying upon her and at once applied the remedy. Like a tender parent, he exposed the fault into which his erring child had fallen and did not spare the chastening which was required. Martha, Martha, he said, you are worried and troubled about many things. 
But one thing is needful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That little sentence was a precious balm indeed. It contained a volume of practical divinity in a few words. One thing is needful. How true that saying. The longer we live in the world, the more true it will appear. The nearer we come to the grave, the more thoroughly we shall assent to it. Health and money and lands and rank and honours and prosperity are all well in their way, but they cannot be called needful. Without them, thousands are happy in this world and reach glory in the world to come. The many things which men and women are continually struggling for are not really necessities. The grace of God, which brings salvation, is the one thing needful. Let this little sentence be continually before the eyes of our minds. Let it check us when we're ready to murmur at earthly trials. Let it strengthen us when we're tempted to deny our master on account of persecution. Let it caution us when we begin to think too much of the things of this world. Let it quicken us when we are disposed to look back like Lot's wife. In all such seasons, let the words of our Lord ring in our ears like a trumpet and bring us to a right mind. Only one thing is needful. If Christ is ours, then we have all and abound. We should observe, lastly, what high commendation our Lord Jesus Christ pronounced on Mary's choice. We read that he said, Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken from her. There was a deep meaning in these words. They were spoken not only for Mary's sake, but for the sake of all Christ's believing people in every part of the world. They were meant to encourage all true Christians to be single-eyed and whole-hearted, to follow the Lord fully and to walk closely with God, to make soul business immeasurably their first business, and to think comparatively little of the things of this world. The true Christian's portion is the grace of God. This is the good part which he has chosen and is the only portion which really deserves the name of good. It is the only good thing which is substantial, satisfying, real, and lasting. It is good in sickness and good in health, good in youth and good in age, good in adversity and good in prosperity, good in life and good in death, good in time and good in eternity. No circumstance and no position can be imagined in which it is not good for man to have the grace of God. The true Christian's possession shall never be taken from him. He alone of all mankind shall never be stripped of his inheritance. Kings must one day leave their palaces. Rich men must one day leave their money and their lands. They can only hold them until they die. But the poorest saint on earth has a treasure of which he will never be deprived, the grace of God, the favor of Christ, are riches which no man can take from him. 
They will go with him to the grave when he dies. They will rise with him in the resurrection morning and be his to all eternity. What do we know of this good part which Mary chose? Have we chosen it for ourselves? Can we say with truth that it is ours? Let us never rest until we can. Let us choose life while Christ offers it to us without money and without price. Let us seek treasure in heaven, lest we awake to find that we are paupers forevermore. Thank you.